This is Conservative Conversations with your host, I'm Reed. And I'm Frank. Today we're going to be giving an update on the Student Loan Forgiveness Program. We're also going to be providing a little more in-depth info on these George Soros DAs. And we're also going to be talking about a potential 2024 presidential run for Joe Manchin. Before we get into it, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Let's do it. Yeah, and so to pick up on something that we've definitely talked about before and something that's been ongoing, um, you know, I'm sure everybody or lots of people are talking about the oral arguments that were just made before the Supreme Court the other day regarding, you know, student loan forgiveness. Um, The government is representing itself against a couple of states who are suing. And it seems to me, I, I sat, I, I had the extreme pleasure <laughs> of sitting and listening to the whole four hour, like unedited audio of the Supreme Court proceedings. And uh, I took some notes and it seems to me like basically the whole thing boils down to just a couple of points. And um, the biggest one in question. And it does encompass others. There's there's a couple under it. Mm-hmm. But the biggest one seems to be whether or not the Secretary of Education has the power to forgive student loans. Just like carte blanche. Whether he can do that. Without an act of Congress, without having to go back, without Congress having to allocate specific funds. Mm-hmm. He is Secretary of Education, oversees the whole education. It, it has its own other statute, you know, which I didn't study coming into this, but there's a statute that props up the Department of Education and gives mm-hmm. its its powers sure. to do whatever the Department of Education does. Under- Basically, the, the law that created the department. Exactly. Yeah. And under that law the Secretary of Education has certain powers. But then there have been other enactments, and one of them is the HEROES Act, mm-hmm. um, which has specified things in law that pertain specifically to the Secretary of Education. And so here they're trying to apply that under the HEROES Act which was originally enacted in 2003, and this was like sort of after 9-11 and all that kinds of stuff. And they kind of wanted to give tools to the states and municipalities and, you know, the powers that be. They wanted to give them more powers to like be able to combat stuff like this, stop it, attack it. And so one of the things that they gave the Department of Education was they listed out a couple of rules for him that he was able to, and this came out of the 2003 law. Mm -hmm. The HEROES Act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The HEROES Act. That he was able, it literally defined this for the Secretary of Education specifically and not in general terms. But I'll tell you what are general terms is it said in case of emergency. 
Right. In the case of an emergency, and this is, you have to take the context after 9-11. Sure. This yeah. is, so in the case of an emergency, the Secretary of Education could waive, amend, or adopt new regulation in lieu of existing. So it's those three phrases. Mm -hmm. Waive, amend, and I don't think adopt is literally spelled out, but in lieu of mm -hmm. is spelled out. And you'd have to say, well, in lieu of what? Well, the existing, right? What would you do it in lieu of? The existing statute. Right, yeah. So if you really take it legally, what's was proposed the secretary of education can waive amend and propose new regulations uh -huh. under the statute right and congress spelled that out now they didn't know what they were spelling that out for and i don't know that this is a legitimate and like what they intended use but they deemed that COVID-19 thing an emergency. Yeah. Federal sure emergency, national emergency. Everybody's up in arms. And you'll see I'm about to argue. I mean, do you have anything to say as of yet? No. Because I'm about to argue that they sure gave out a lot of other money. Right. And one of the questions would be, you know, in the court proceedings is, does it harmonize with what Congress intended? So you'd be asking the old Congress who wrote that law and said, mm -hmm. in the case of an emergency, the secretary can do basically whatever he needs to do. Right. They basically did say that. They said, waive, amend, and write new. Basically, they didn't say write new. I think the word statute. I kept overhearing in the videos you were listening to was modify. Well, yeah, that's one of the three. Yeah. But one of the things they were, the biggest thing is wave. Uh -huh. That's what they really fight in this case. If you, and of course the link will be provided to all of our viewers. Mm -hmm. You can go and listen to yourself. You can listen to the full four hour clip <laughs> as I did. <laughs> but one of the things they fight most is wave. What does that right. mean? Wave. Sure. Wave. You can wave a fee. Can you wave a law? Right? Can yeah. you wave a statute? Can you? What are we waving? What right. are we modify was not in question really. Okay. Modify is pretty clear. Uh, the other thing that was kind of in question though is the in lieu of part because obviously he can't just write new rules. Yeah, willy nilly. Whenever. Like in lieu of Congress, yeah. he can't do that. But but they Congress did give him broad power, and it is listed there. Yeah. If you look at that verbiage. And they chose it. Right, definitely sounds like it. Pretty broad. They weren't pr that precise, and they could have been. So, I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Definitely, like, yeah. I definitely think the government has an argument here. I really do. Especially mm -hmm. when you look at, this is what we're going to move into next. If you look at the other things that they did under the CARES Act, so you kind of asked me this question in a private conversation. About the Heroes Act. Right. And I didn't really understand your question. I've had to think about it more a little bit. I wouldn't say I've researched it because I really haven't, but 
I've thought about it a little more. And I think I told you I was wrong at the time. And I told you that they like repassed the Heroes Act or something like that. And that's not true. That's not what I was even thinking of either, though. Uh I'm thinking of if you look at the spirit of Congress and what they've done and what they have enacted under the guise Mm. of the pandemic. Sure. And I'm not saying I agree with it. Please don't get me wrong. But if you look at what they've done, I mean, they've just been over backwards. They've bent the back of the American citizen to, to do this right. stuff. Yeah, I think I heard one of the examples mentioned was the CDC and the rent uh, moratorium, whatever, something like that. Yeah, but that goes back. That's a prior example. Okay. That goes back to, um, well, it's interesting you bring up the CDC. But that's not how I took it. I think the CDC did have something to do with that example. But I was thinking more of back in 2008. Remember when they said when there was a mortgage crisis? Uh And they said, just don't leave. They said, even if you're foreclosed on, just don't leave your home. That's more of what I was thinking of. I was thinking the comparison more of to that where government certain government officials mm-hmm. had literally said that kinds of stuff okay. just disobey the law right i got you don't do it and i think that's what we're talking about here is well hang on what did you just ask me the um it seemed like we were kind of talking about how uh like certain departments of the the government have these broad powers um, that they use in emergency Uh, cases. Right. And that's when I brought up the the CDC and the moratorium thing. Well, I would say that it's comparable, and it Mm -hmm. would have been under, but you have to go back. That's going back, though. That would have been under Obama. Right. And I don't think that they had an emergency. I mean, I don't think they declared what happened in the stock market in 2008, I don't think they declared that as like a federal emergency. Whereas here under Biden, which you might call the new Obama, depending on who you are, this has been declared a federal. And see, that's the difference. And I think that's the comparison. So whether I'm right or wrong, that's just how I took it. Okay, so Mm -hmm. take it as you will. Sure. But I think it was comparing it in that way. If you look at what they did back in 2008-ish, that kind of time frame, right. they, they broke some laws. They said, don't, don't move out of your house. And they, right. they bent some rules about the financial markets. And you know they went after the banks and said, the banks did this wrong. When mm-hmm. it was you know the stock market, it was the government. It was all this yeah, underhanded Several play. layers of problems. Exactly. But they go after these black sheep, mm-hmm. right, As if you will. And I think in this example, um, for some reason, this is the, the reason why I keep wanting to play devil's advocate on this issue, is because it's almost like the black sheep in this example is student loans. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand it. Now, the reason I'm so interested in it is because I do have a horse in the race, and I've tried to be clear about that. I do stand to benefit to this, and I don't want there to be any qualms about it. I would benefit from this if it came out in favor of forgiveness. But 
the thing that I find interesting about all this is that do you know that they've broken a lot of other rules under the guise of the pandemic too? Right. A lot. And one of the ones I think he would be interested is they made certain rules about 401ks and other types of things about that. You could take distributions Uh at no harm, at no cost, at no... Well, imagine if you abused that. Uh I have a family member who took their 401k out. Well, imagine imagine just because of knowledge, right, and ability, Mm -hmm. you stood to benefit at huge cost. I mean, not, I mean, cost. A huge benefit. I don't know how to put it. It would be cost to the government in a sense because otherwise they would have made that tax Mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? They just, under the guise of the pandemic, You can, there's abatement of all kinds. It goes kind of back to the same principle. They can waive, modify, and put in lieu of, they're doing the same thing in other departments. Right. And you might ask, well, then why didn't they now spell it out for the Secretary of Education? And I would just put to you that it's already in law. I mean, I'm telling you, this is what the government lawyer would say uh-huh. and she's excellent it's already in law they passed it in 2003 why would they have to rewrite it and if you look at their intent they're throwing everybody's money at the smallest problem you've ever seen in your life now these are frank's words but that's what they're doing they're throwing everybody's money at the Teeniest, tiniest little problem. Mm-hmm. So why not student loans? Now, I'm not arguing for them. But I'm just saying, if you look at the totality, why is it that the student loans, that's what makes me scratch my head, just as the reporter in me, the, the detective. It's not that I stand to benefit. But why are they being singled out? If you look at what they did with unemployment, they made it untaxable for the first time in tax history unemployment is untaxable if you look i mean they expanded unemployment Mm -hmm. so that i mean if you look at all the laws that they and what are we saying it's three things amended right Uh whatever i've lost the three words but i've already said them several times So why not the Secretary of Education? I mean, it's almost ridiculous. The question, why is it the black sheep? That is a good question. I don't really have an answer for it. 401ks, unemployment, everything else in the tax code. Uh Uh-huh. I'm just saying, I don't have, I'm really interested to see, I guess, as a way to sum up this segment, I'll tell you this, it seems, it sounds, because of course there was no video for the Supreme Court, but it sounds like it's going to be a party split, you know, but I'm just interested because there are some really deep questions here, and I did have some other, I mean, I don't have this in my current notes, but 
there there are some interesting points raised not just in the ones i wanted to bring but a lot of these states have like subcontracted out their departmental loan the federal uh-huh. government has contracted out its loan yeah the loan system. servicers right yeah and there's a question of are these state entities are they independent entities can they be sued can they sue can they represent themselves how come the states are representing instead of mm-hmm. the corporation there are some really interesting things that I didn't cover here. But I was just covering it from the way I see it. And so therefore, I'll be very interested to see how it comes down, obviously. Right. Because there are larger things at play than how Frank sees this case. So, <laughs> so we'll have to follow up again, I think. Yeah, I I did not listen to too much of the arguments. I have overheard some of it while you were listening to it, and uh, that lady was definitely doing a good job um, answering all the judges' questions. Um, and when it was the gentleman's turn who was arguing for the, the states, uh, he definitely didn't seem that confident. That's from one thing I've observed. He seemed juvenile, and I don't yeah. mean that as a... You know, I mean that in terms of court speak. He seemed like a... Maybe new. Well, yeah, and I think in unkind court speak, outside of court speak, you might say novice. He seemed like a novice. Yeah, yeah. But you would say juvenile. He seemed like a juvenile Mm -hmm. or junior, junior representative or counsel, junior counsel. Right. But... I think... uh... The judges were definitely doing a pretty good job at asking each side some pretty tough questions. Uh, when all of them. I think there are yeah. deep enough implications, and this is what I hope for. I think there are deep enough implications here that they all might come to an understanding. Because it's like I've said before, whether it's been on the channel or not, I'm not sure if it was just to you privately, but um, I think that the people... You remember... I think we did do it on the channel, actually. That's why I want to say it. There were people who received letters from the government, basically, that said their loans would be forgiven. It was in black and white. Mm -hmm. And I think they'd have standing. Right. No matter how, even if this gets slapped down, and that's fine. Okay? No problem. It gets slapped down. I think they'd still have standing, though, to pursue this further, to bring it back up to the Supreme Court again, because they've been harmed. They have a friggin' document, government document that says that their loan's gonna be paid off. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it definitely seems like they would have a reasonable standing in their situation for sure. But if you will, and then we can be done with this. It just seems like there are broader implications, period, though. Yeah, definitely. Like people might be able to bring claims even if they don't have such a letter. Right. I just think the letter is a proof you know but there's other people where implication is kind of proof too i mean a lot's been said and and yeah either way it's decided i think they'll have a pretty 
like you said, pretty significant implications. Yes, absolutely. So we'll have to just follow up on that topic. Yep. Uh, you have to tune in here. Yep, hopefully in June, I believe, is when they usually do their decisions on these cases. So uh, it'll be a while, but we'll keep our eyes and ears out for it and be sure to tune in and listen to what we have to say when those announcements come. And um, with that, we'll move on to a little bit of follow-up that I have uh, for a couple... Um, well, a topic that I've covered for a couple of couple past episodes. Uh, most recently in our prior episode to this one, I was talking about um, uh, some of these progressive DAs in the big cities. And um, since then, there's been uh, some news in St. Louis that's kind of highlighting one of those DAs, which is Kim Gardner. Um, and I did do my own little bit of investigating to make sure she was, is one of these George Soros-funded DAs. Um, and sure enough, she is. I'll pull up my notes here. Okay, so what I first did um, was I just did a simple search for the phrase Kim Gardner PAC which is Political uh, Action Committee, I believe, something like that. And um, it gave me a result from uh, a website called St. Louis Today, and it had inf uh, this information. And oh, the article is dated from 2016, uh, so it's a little, little old, but uh, still, still relevant. Because um, it was during her first campaign as uh, the district attorney, I believe. Well, I don't think that's what they call it in St. Louis, but same type of job. Um, an advertisement for St. Louis uh, circuit attorney candidate Kimberly Gardner was posted to the Missouri Safety and Justice YouTube channel. Uh, the the Washington, D.C.-based uh, Safety and Justice Political Action Committee uh, that paid for the ad, which has been supported by liberal billionaire investor George Soros, made a 67,000-some-odd-dollar donation uh, to Gardner on July 19th, which was 2016. And uh, the article didn't really have much more info than that because it told me to subscribe to read more. From there, I did a new search for the Missouri Justice, Justice and Safety PAC, which was mentioned in the St. Louis Today article. And uh, it gave me a result um, that led me to a page from Influence Watch about the. Missouri Justice and Public Safety PAC, which was basically the same group renamed for her 2020 campaign. Um, and on this page um, from Influence Watch, the Missouri Justice and Public Safety PAC 
is a left-of-center PAC that was created in 2020 and spent uh, $116,000 on the re-election campaign of uh, St. Louis uh, City Circuit Attorney Kimberly Gardner. Uh, the organization is the Missouri branch of the Vast Safety and Justice Network, a project of left-leaning billionaire George Soros uh, that used a network of similarly, similarly named state-level PACs to finance the campaigns of progressive uh, Democratic candidates for district attorneys in more than uh, a dozen uh, America's cities. And this all ties back to what we were talking about in our last episode with these uh, George Soros funded progressive DAs. And um, uh, I just wanted to. And kind of follow up on that and to provide a little bit more, uh, I guess, evidence of... of um, well, you sure, and I see why it's yeah. coming up. I mean, you say she's in a little bit of hot water there in yep. St. Louis. Which what's, is what I'm going to get into next. Yeah, what's that about? Uh, there are two big stories recently. Um, the one that happened first uh, was there is a young girl and her family that were in St. Louis for a volleyball tournament. And they were, like, outside of their hotel, um, like, going to their car or something. And a 21-year-old driver failed to yield at the intersection and caused an accident, which caused this girl to lose both of her legs. Um, and what's particularly interesting is the, the suspect in the, this crash. Um, I got a couple notes about his history. Um, well, first to kind of uh, read a little description of what happened from this uh, article I have. I believe it's from a local news uh, station in St. Louis. Uh, the car ran uh, a yield sign at the intersection and hit another car. Um, and that car went airborne and hit um, Edmonton, the girl's last name, um, pinning it between, I mean, pinning her between the two cars. Well, that car and a parked car. Um, and then uh, there's another paragraph that kind of details the, uh, the driver here. Um, a probable cause statement against um, Riley, the suspect's last name, uh, states he is currently on bond for other pending charges of robbery and armed criminal action um, for a robbery that happened in 2020. He got a personal recogn recognizance bond um, on August 10th of 2022. Uh, on the condition of GPS monitoring and house arrest, 
The statement goes on to say that he has received numerous GPS violations. The last one filed on February 13th, just five days uh, before the accident. So this is what appears to be another example of one of these criminals that, um, repeat criminals that aren't, what well, I guess some might say, being properly prosecuted and you know, probably being put in jail for his crimes. Instead, he's getting out on bonds and just being made to wear a GPS monitor and he keeps violating those and nothing's being done about him. And then he's out on the street. Oh, and the next paragraph I hadn't gone to yet, he, he doesn't even have a valid license, so he's not even supposed to be driving. And he causes this accident, and um, this young girl who's a volleyball player isn't going to play volleyball anymore. At least not for a while, they do have wheelchair volleyball. Um, hopefully that's something she could transition to. So that's why to. she's in hot water? Um, this Kim Gardner? Yeah, for... Is um, because this cheerleader and not, this guy were in an accident? Not just because they were in an accident, because this person who caused the accident should have been in jail. And had, he, had she properly prosecuted him, he might, might have been. And there are other uh, like similar examples that happen in big cities like this. All right, I got you. I get you. But that's quite a systemic problem, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. And then the other case, um, now I suppose this really, I don't know how much we can tie back to Kim Garner yet, because there isn't much known about this uh, next criminal, um, but there's this really shocking incident where caught on camera is this guy loading his gun and then walking up behind a homeless man and just shooting him in the back of the head. Who saw this? Uh, it was caught on camera by a, a witness, bystander. Bystander? Uh-huh. So somebody just went up behind somebody and shot him? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the report says they allegedly had an altercation at a gas station a few mm. moments before. Okay, yeah. But yeah. in the video of this particular incident, the homeless man's just sitting there on the curb. You know, seemingly minding his own. And this guy's standing behind him for like a good, at least 30 seconds, fiddling with his gun, trying to load it, being caught on film doing it, before he shoots him execution style, as it's described in the article. Yeah. And I'd love to know the context, though. I mean, that's what I do professionally, though, is work with video. But one of the points I was going to make uh, is that. Not that this particularly matters, just the two points I was going to make. Uh, since we, we don't know a whole lot about his criminal history yet, I'm sure we'll find out soon. But uh, he does have numerous tattoos on his forehead and his neck, which is usually not a good sign. No. <laughs> and um, if, We're trained against it in the biz, right. if you want to know. If, and since from just... Just based on what we do see in the video, 
since it seems so like nonchalant and brazen as you said, it one would at least it makes me think that it's probably not the first time this guy's shot somebody. And he certainly doesn't have high regards for human life if he's just gonna walk up behind this homeless man who like I said from the video, seems to have like moved on from whatever the prior situation was because he was just sitting on the curb at this point. Right, and an altercation is an altercation. Right. And just because there's a precedent doesn't... Right. There's no, what do they call it, justification of equal force mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Yeah. Right. So I'm not going to be surprised if we find out in the next couple of days once more people look into this uh, guy's history that he... Probably has a good record. I him. just think well, I record, don't know. I think it's record. just how I am. I think everybody's due for a good defense. And who knows? Maybe that guy was. Uh, I mean, I've seen some pretty crazy homeless people. Let sure. me tell you what. Yeah, some crazy ones. So just because he's sitting passively the next second doesn't mean he hasn't been ridiculously crazy mm. a moment before. Drugs are powerful. Hormones are powerful. People's mental illnesses are powerful. You never know. You can want to fight one minute and weep the next. And the last point I'll, well, not really a point, last thing I'll note is um, the the mayor of St. Louis is uh, not not very happy even with this Kim Gardner uh, character. So, uh, are they of the same political party? Yes. Well, that's interesting. Yes, isn't that it? is what makes it interesting. <laughs> that's news. Yeah. So, uh, some people are calling for her to be removed or step down, Kim Gardner. So, we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, like I said, that's just, uh, wanted to bring up a more specific example. What's of- it with Kim's? Yeah, the Kim Fox, Kim Gardner. <laughs> right, that must be a thing, huh? Uh-huh. I think Soros has a thing for Kim's. Kim. Yeah. But uh, that's all I got. Just wanted to sort of provide an example of a recent topic I've brought up, bring a little bit more depth to it. And um, hopefully I'll have something new next time because I feel like I've bring, been bringing up these DAs and the... Crime in the city's past. Well, it keeps going up, just like I feel like I keep bringing up the student loan thing. Right. And it's not, I keep saying this, it's not because I have an interest in it. You have to believe me. It just keeps coming up. Well, you know what else keeps coming up? Train derailments. Well, it seems too. There was another one uh, just very recently. Yep. In Ohio. It was said to have liquid propane and. Uh, ethanol. Ethanol? Oh boy. Yeah, but otherwise it wasn't supposed to be like chemically harmful. Like like toxic? Yeah, and toxic. Like the last train derailment was. Yeah, uh, one of the best parts about it, it's Norfolk Southern again. Like they can't seem to get their trains on order. What do you mean best part? Like we can buy their stock (laughs) on the cheap? No, I'm being facetious. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, this train derailment happens like uh, one month after the one in East Palestine, and 
Well, I'll tell you, if you don't mind. Go for it. This kind of scares me. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about it on the drive home because this is when I heard this on the radio. I had not heard about it prior. And I thought, you know, this is on the piggyback of, there have been lots of people saying we're going to go to war. There's all this stuff. We put out other stuff on the channel last week, you know, weeks prior. And I'm thinking, look, we can't even deliver train cargo. Yeah. I'm thinking these other nations must just be laughing. I mean, we can't even deliver stuff here. And we want to talk to the Chinese about, you charge us too much for drugs. It's like, we can't even deliver stuff domestically. Right. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a problem, and one thing, um, like, especially when it comes to the environment and these train cars, one thing that would help is these pipelines that the Democrats and environmentalists don't want us building, because it's safer to transport, particularly, like, gas and stuff like that, oil, through these pipelines, instead of one of these train cars where they can get derailed and spill everywhere. Well, of course, and it kills me when they do the transportation bills, the massive trillion dollars mm-hmm. of bills and stuff. It's not to address stuff. I mean, if you think back, right? Like, why did they originally build the highway system? Um, and why did they fit it to a certain code? And to what code did it fit? It's supposed to be for, like, help transport our military. Bingo! And then you want to look at today. What's it used for today? It's just, it just pays states uh-huh. massive amounts of money for them to... Always be building projects. I mean, do they ever really fix the roads? It wouldn't behoove them to fix the roads. It's actually antithetical to fix the roads. Do you see what I'm saying? It's all like mm-hmm. a Ponzi scheme, man. I'm going conspiratorial here, yeah. and I didn't even mean to. But, but uh, one of the people... Well, there's not really too much there for that story yet, I don't think. But I'm just saying, they could fix the trains. Oh, yeah, they could. They could fix... They, I mean, what do they want to fix? They want to unsegregate the highway system. Uh-huh, and, and it's like, how was the highway system segregated? A. <laughs> and B, the whole thing's falling apart. And they want to diversify the construction crews that work on these projects because too many white people are on these jobs, I guess. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. None of it. No. Not at all. So let's fix the trains. Fix them. We ought to start a charity. Fix, Fix the, the trains. trains.org. <laughs> no, we got to include us. Oh, fix the, the trains. trains dot contemporary conservative dot net. But one person who, I, when I was just talking about the, the pipelines and versus the trains and stuff, I sort of picked that idea, and it's not just my idea, and I've heard it before. But I got it from uh, Joe Manchin, who was recently talking to, um, I think, Martha Radich, maybe. 
one of those Sunday morning news. She's ladies. the blonde one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that makes it. That's a real name. Yeah, I know that's a real name. I can't remember if it's her or some other person, but he was on CBS Sunday morning uh, talking to the lady. And that's one of the things he pointed out um, was because she asked him about uh, if he's going to vote for this uh, bill that the two Ohio senators and some other senators are trying to pass in uh, relation to the railroads. Um, and that's one of the things he pointed out. He said he, he would be for it because, for one, they need to, like you said, fix the trains. Uh, Fix the roads. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's why you laugh because we're both from West Virginia. They're always talking about fixing the roads down there. Yeah, but But they never do. But most importantly, from this interview, um, they were the the lady. Well, I wish I remembered her name, so I didn't just have to say the lady. It is radish, isn't it? Just go with that. Sure. Um, she asked was asking him about his political future because in 2024 his seat for senate is up and the current governor of west virginia jim justice has indicated that he is going to run for it um for senate yes when when uh, joe manchin's term is over in well 2024. i'll be darned and that's so, news to me friend yeah i didn't know that so martha radish was trying to ask him um know if he's planning to announce that he's going to run for Senate or if he might run for 2024 presidential uh, campaign. And uh, I didn't get the the chance to write down her exact question and quotes and stuff like that, but she effectively stated to him, Joe Manchin, that something like, so you ruled out your any plans to run for 20 in 2024. And his reply was something to the effect of, I haven't ruled anything out. So it seems to me he's at least possibly considering a 2024 presidential run. Um, And this is the first time that I've heard this question come up to him. I believe I heard Brett Baer try to ask him recently um, if he had plans to run for uh, president in 2024. And I believe his response was something like, uh, right now he's just focused on what's best for the people of West Virginia, which is one of his common answers. Yes. And uh, it got me thinking that he's, like I just said, he's definitely considering it, I believe. I can tell you that kind of answer makes me think he's presidential. Mm-hmm. But we have beef. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he's he's a Democrat. He is a Democrat. Um, or or what that's worth. And he won't give it up. Right. And I've sent him several emails. I mean, we could go back. This goes back years before mm-hmm. we started the podcast. Yeah, and I told him he should switch his party. Well, I forget who asked. Um, I'll have the links to two articles. Uh. Or Joe Manchin, and in one of them, I think it said that somebody tried to ask him if he would still call himself a Democrat, and he avoided the answer by saying he's an American, uh, and he's American through and through, something like that. So I'm, um, I think he's a good representative. Yeah, definitely. And 
uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him try to run for the Democrat ticket. I wouldn't see. I wouldn't mind to see him run on the conservative side. Yeah, that, well, that's that why would, I wrote him. <laughs> that would. That's be, why I wrote him in the first place. I definitely would be better. Uh, It'd be like if Tulsi Gabbard switched. Right. I mean, imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would hate her guts. Sure. But imagine. Well, a lot of Democrats, especially the more far left ones, they don't like Joe Manchin right now as it is. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, but in a certain sense, no matter where you fall, mm-hmm. it's a capitalist market still, isn't it? Yeah. And that yeah. would sell newspapers. Mm-hmm. Joe yeah. switches. Yeah. Gabby switches. Yeah. Name, what's that other name? There's another name. There's somebody else out there who's a moderate. Oh, switches. C- cinema? Yes, yeah, cinema. Thank you. Well, Thank you. That's exactly who I meant. She technically has switched from Democrat to Independent. Okay, but I know listen, what you're I'm saying, just though. saying, yes. Yeah. Just imagine that sells newspapers to uh-huh. say, switch, you know? And yeah. people, no matter what side you're on, they go, oh, what? Yeah. And they read it. <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, I feel like he would definitely have a pretty decent shot in the primaries. I think people would consider him more than they might mm-hmm. other candidates. Yeah, because he's definitely pretty moderate, fairly moderate. And he's Democrat. fairly he conservative. No. Well, Democrat. I wouldn't say for fairly, a Democrat. I would say fairly honest. Oh, okay. I wouldn't say he's fairly conservative. I mean, well, that's why I in a sense my, he my might modifier. be somewhat. I'll <laughs> give you that. He might be somewhat conservative. Cons- Compared to a liberal, yeah, <laughs> he might that's be. That's why I said Democrat. But I'm just saying he's also considerable. Right. He's somebody, as West Virginians, listen, do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. He would never be my first choice. Sure. But he's one of those Goliath figures, Goliath mm-hmm. names, whatever. And if he made me certain promises, right? I might be willing to and I don't think that's a compromise I think it would be more of a compromise on his part to have to come to me right. as the voter right. I don't think well, he would that's what politicians should be doing compromising yes. to come to what the voters exactly want. and I don't think it would be a compromise on my part to say okay well if you sign a contract mm-hmm. social right sure this is old philosophic theory Mm-hmm. Social contract. If, right. if we elect you, and you're gonna do this, mm-hmm. then don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Right. <clears throat> What's the matter what they did before? Mm-hmm. So long yeah. as they do this now. Right. It's a tough game, politics, isn't it? Of course, of course. And that's why you should tune in here. Yep. And I think with that, we'll leave it there. Uh, I feel like it's been a pretty good one. Lots of, lots of stuff that's been topical. The student loans, these DAs, although it's not really that topical, but what's, it is what it is. So be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on most major platforms, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. You can also find the audio on YouTube. And be sure to visit our website, contemporaryconservative.net, for more material. And as always, thank you for listening.